This is a strategist, episode 999.99999. My name is Dave Belcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Stephen Carter, are you with me, as always? Yeah, but just there seemed to be one extra nine there. Shouldn't this be four nines? This is this is not four nines, Stephen Carter. This is yeah, four, uh, five four nines nine. was Thursday, bud. Yeah, four nines was Thursday. What's we going didn't on? do a show on Thursday. Oh, we did no. do a show on Thursday. Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> What's this? What's this now? What? What? We didn't seriously. So, I have uh, like seriously. Yeah, yeah, Corey, do you want yeah, to tell so, him? Should I tell him? Yeah. So it turns out you did a twenty-four hour live stream. Uh, where you deconstructed every campaign you've ever worked on, um, and you confessed your absolute inadequacy in each of them, and how you've relied on Zane and myself to get anything mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you had me until the uh, confessed the absolute inadequacy <laughs> of myself relying on you and Zane. Uh, that obviously did not happen. Uh, okay, so so let's let's explain the confessing this to, part. You mean? Yeah. Let's explain this to all of our non-Patreon subscribers and uh, Stephen. Uh, so on Thursday, we recorded an episode, uh, aptly titled, uh, episode 999.9999, uh, with the four nines. This one is yeah. the one with five nines. Uh, uh-huh. Stephen was there, but Stephen no. may not remember being there because Stephen, no. uh, you were heavily medicated, uh, and you actually, <laughs> uh, told us, uh, during the podcast, this was not a bit, by the way. This was not one of our classic strategist bits. Uh, this was this was Stephen Carter, uh, medicated after a bike accident, uh, taking twice the recommended dosage, uh, realizing that about sixty percent through the show, and then probably just staring at his hands the entire time because uh, my video stopped working, so I had no idea what was going on with Carter. Um, and I will say that train wreck is available to you alongside a numerous number of other episodes for a low, low price of $6 a month. $6 a month. You get access to the, the Patreon exclusives, which are still happening weekly through the summer. Plus, uh, at $10 a month, you get access to our deep, deep back catalog of all of the time Stephen Carter made bad predictions. Uh, you know, oh. anything over three months old is there. So, you know, if you're feeling the pain of these only being every two weeks right now, We've got a way we can profit from that. And we just wanted to make sure you knew that right here at the so, top. Carter, you know, so I know guys... that. Yeah, go ahead, Carter, because I, I know that folks at home are 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 just uh, or wherever they are, I should say, are just running towards their computer, their phone, sign up to, to hear that episode. Um, now that you've realized that that happened, um, do you feel like you were, I don't know, taken advantage of? Do you feel like yes. uh, you've got any regrets? Okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you a couple of seconds to. to, to yes. Voice no, you guys took advantage of me. Like, was it not? Was it? <laughs> visible that i was not doing well that i was I under medication Co- no idea did i indicate no idea. that i was first of all hard to tell secondly no I'm, idea <laughs> you know what uh pay ten dollars get access to the stream and you you can find out my friend oh yeah i could find out carter that's right carter there there, there is visual evidence of this episode happening uh trust me i i think the feedback we got um ranged i think it went from uh i'm canceling my patreon subscription uh, which was, of course, uh, my wife. Uh, all the way to uh, <laughs> all the way to uh, Carter's best work yet, uh, which uh, I feel like was a vast majority of people. So, Carter, um, you know, you do have a skill that when you are uh, heavily medicated, uh, turns out you put out content uh, that the listeners love even more. I'm not very comfortable with this. I feel like you guys took advantage of me. Uh, I will be hiring a lawyer. There will be trouble. 
Okay, well, typical Stephen Carter, of course. Uh, Carter, yeah. how are you? How are you feeling now? Feeling pretty good. I've managed to uh, marry the uh, anti-inflammatories with the painkillers, just about in the perfect perfect marriage. Feeling very little pain, but uh, also uh, still able to function. So things are really looking up. Corey, you know, still able to function. Um, often we feel like when someone gets a haircut, uh, that they feel like a new individual. And Carter kind of feels like a new individual with his his medication now on the right track with the right dosage. Yeah. Uh, but we also talk about, as I said, haircuts as being the 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 rebirth of a human being. And one prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has gotten a haircut. And Corey, I do want to spend time on this uh, because it was all the rage online. Uh, Justin Trudeau's haircut, Corey. And that's the big topics we tackle on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, so uh, this is going to be our next 55 minutes, a short 55-minute segment. I haven't even introduced a segment. I might just halfway through, depending on how this goes. I just want to see where your, uh, lack of a better term, head is at, Corey. Oh, perfect. Uh, Where is your head at on this this very important topic of national importance? Well, so Justin Trudeau lives in Ottawa most of the year, gets pretty bloody hot in the summer, and uh, he decided to get a haircut, so you... You know, gone is that Justin Trudeau quaff, right? That that flowing hair that uh, that has just been so much a part of his personality since the first time that I met him, which was in two thousand and six, and he was a he was a mere delegate for the Gerard Kennedy leadership campaign. Interesting hair tie in there. Put a pin in that one, Zane. We're going to come back to our friend Gerard Kennedy, but now sure, he's got Corey. shorter hair. He's got shorter hair. He's got like a you know a, a cut that was pretty popular in the nineties, the Caesar. You know, and uh, there's been all sorts of conversation as to what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this tell us about the psyche of our prime minister? What does this mean to his electoral chances? Was this a good haircut? Was this a bad haircut? Uh, there was actually an article in the Sun Chain that talked about him looking like uh, Jim Carrey's character from Dumb and Dumber, which I thought was a bit much. Uh, but you yes, know, it's, it it's, was a bit much. It's not over. I saw the pictures side by side. They look far more closely together than Corey and my haircut, for example. Well, I so have they, hair. And, well, that's... And you do not. Yeah. Carter, we'll, so. we'll, we'll come to you in a second. Keep going, Corey. <laughs> so, uh, look, I don't, I don't think that this is uh, a great haircut. You know, they say the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is $50 in two weeks, though. So mm. uh, he'll survive. Justin Trudeau can rebound over the summertime. This can be... You know, an opportunity for him to do some soul searching and and reconnect with a barber that he obviously pissed off at some point in his life there. Uh, And we'll all move on. The thing about it is, is it a good haircut? Is it a bad haircut? I would say his hair is not meeting its expectations. His hair is not living up to its potential. We've seen Justin Trudeau's hair. We know what it can do. We know the memes it can generate. And, And this is not the kind of memes you want to generate, the hair he has right now. Uh, Carter, you know, I don't even know where the hell we're going with this, but that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Uh, Carter, politics and hair. There's a connection, right? Listen, uh, I remember Preston Manning's makeover, uh, his last election. He had a it remind me of that. I, actually, I don't remember this at all. So you don't take me, that? take oh, me, he, take me back to this. He he lost the glasses. He went to contacts. He changed his hairstyle. His it voice, was a significant he, he makeover. He had a voice coach too. Yeah, he had a voice coach to change him from you know his nasally intonation to something a little bit more human. Uh, which is ironic coming from me. Um, but nonetheless, this is a, you know, this is a tried and true. I mean, 
Allison Redford, I think we put through four different clothing makeovers. I don't think we ever got to her hair. Uh, arguably, Jyoti Gondek doesn't get elected mayor if she has the same hairdo that she did in 2000 and, uh, 2000 and what was it, 18 when she first got elected, 2017. Um, she had a very different kind of long bob. When she cut it to the short hairstyle, it opened up a totally different power dynamic. Um, hair, hair matters. In fact, you very rarely will see a Joe Biden-esque hair, hairstyle in the White House. You are far more likely to see a, a Donald Trump full quaff uh, or a you know Bill Clinton full set of hair. I mean, this is, this is in fact, being tall, having hair, and uh, being able to speak properly are actually three things that we look for in politicians. And arguably, yeah, you're Justin Trudeau only had, only had one of those. And so, <laughs> which is the same number you have, just just so we could just to be clear. But yeah. I'm not running to be prime minister. I'm not running to be prime minister. But this is this is in fact a true thing. When you look at politicians, you will see. I mean, you, how many how many politicians? So tell me, tell have, me this. Have you have actually transplants? Have you actually talked to a politician about their hair? Have you talked yes. to a politician about their how they style it? How it's it's what it's I'm going to use Corey's term here. What its potential is. Like, yes. and I guess the, the, the follow-up question I have for both of you is that, is this like a, a reasonable thing to be talking about in our politics where we talk about how superficial so much of it is, has become? But Carter, you, your answer yeah. is yes. And I want to let you continue on that. Yes. And then I'll ask the broader question. Keep going, Carter. Is, is it superficial? Absolutely it is superficial. But people make up their minds about you in a heartbeat. They walk up to you mm. and they see you in a heartbeat and then they will make up their your mind about them, you know? I know that this person, like you're standing in line in the grocery store. The person in front of you is wearing a certain outfit and has their hairstyle a certain way. Yeah. What do you think about them? When you see someone with a mullet, what does the mullet tell you about that person? First of all, an AFL star, obviously. Secondly, a ho NHL hockey player, right? These are, you know, there are certain hairstyles that dictate who the person is. And if they're a 45-year-old with a mullet, you know, that tells us an awful lot about who they are. And you're not going to see a lot of people getting elected with the old fashioned, you know, uh, Canadian moule. It's just not going to happen. So you have to have a hairstyle that actually makes sense to be in the position. Dress for the role you want and dressing for the role that you want includes the way that you style your hair. Now, I don't make the rules, but I do know. And this is one of the hardest things for women, female candidates as well. Because it is so hard. You think it's hard to nail down uh, what a male candidate's hair should look like. We have essentially three hairstyles. Corey's hairstyle, oh. Zane's hairstyle, Stephen's hairstyle. Those are the three <laughs> hairstyles, right? And then, and then you have now apparently the reintroduction of the 1990s Caesar style uh, that went out when, uh, you know. With frosted tips, yeah. With same frosted time. tips, you know. But this is... This is not a small thing. This is you, you running. This is why Justin Trudeau with his long locks was something that was very different about him as a politician and attracted us as a nation to him and his family. And it actually opened our eyes to him as a potential prime minister. Prove me wrong. Oh, goodness. That's wrong. that you're putting a lot of weight on that hair. Corey, I want to well, go. Tell me, go, was it his yeah. speaking skills? Was it his policy? You tell me what it was that attracted okay, so us the to obvi Justin the Trudeau. Obviously, overall general presentation was part of it. But Corey, you know, the question I have here is the one I went to earlier, which is the superficiality. And frankly, you know, we're talking about it, but is this even fair game to talk about? And and have yeah. you had to, to, this discussion with candidates around their presentation, especially as it relates to, to hair and, and how it's 
you know, so intricately tied in terms of how we make snap judgments in politics, as Carter was saying. Yeah, you know, I've had this conversation with candidates. I've had this conversation mm. with corporate leaders. I've I've had conversation mm. where I've said that haircut looks too severe. You, you've got to grow it out, or or you know something to that effect. Um, should it matter? No. Does it matter? It does to some people. And if you think it shouldn't matter, it shouldn't matter to you either. So why do you give a flip? Just change your hair, right? Don't let it be a distraction. Don't die on your hair. Don't die on your clothes. Don't let them get in the way of the message you want to deliver. So there's two, two ways to think about hair and clothing here. There's the baseline. Like you got to elevate it to the point where it's not distracting. You can't have hockey hair to Stephen Carter's point, right? Yeah. You can't like, have arguably this Arguably Trudeau where, did though for years well, prior to him no, becoming no, I, candidate. I, I wouldn't call no. that hockey hair. That was, that was just, that was just good fucking hair. Only so many men can pull off like the medium length haircut that Justin Trudeau did. Yeah. Right? And then three of them are not yeah. on this podcast. Agreed yeah, none completely. of us are on there, yeah, but yeah. you know, you got to have the right volume and the length and all, all of that shit. Justin Trudeau had that. And clearly he figured it out at some early age that this would be a haircut that works for him. And he carried it for a long time, which I think is part of why people are reacting in the moment they are now too, because it's a change. But sure. my, my point is there is the haircut that's just so bad that it gets in the way of you being a candidate. There's the, there's the attire that's so bad it gets in the way of you being a candidate. And Preston Manning's a good example of that, right? Preston Manning's message was getting lost in the fact that he he had this, you know, uh, you know, these big old school glasses, which, by the way, would be so on point now in 2022. But in yeah, right. Like in a hipster way. Yeah, yeah sure. Looked really old school. And uh, his his suits didn't have the right cut and his hair was really, you know, old fashioned. He looked like he came out of a Bible camp in 1965. <laughs> and it was in, it was getting in the way of him being the candidate. So there was the laser eye surgery and. We mentioned that there was a bit of vocal coaching, which I'm not sure was ever kind of like confirmed, but certainly you notice he stopped as an having output, that classic yeah. like Reform Party of Canada, which he was famous for. You know, like there were so many people who did the Howard Dean-esque. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Preston Manning impersonations. Everyone in politics yeah, had yeah. one for a generation. Can't let it be a distraction. So there's the elevate your candidate to the point where it's not a distraction. Uh, that sucks. Change it. Bring it to a baseline that's not going to be objectionable to anybody. And I actually think that one of the jobs of a campaign manager, you know, campaign director or something like that is to have that yeah. conversation and do it in those cold ways where it, it no longer becomes like that's harsh coming from your wife, from your campaign director. It's just like it's like get, lose it. Right. Like we got to do this. The numbers show it's not polling well and it just becomes the business. Right. And you're the only one who can really deliver that message that way. There is something that I think Justin Trudeau had, though, before I kind of toss the ball back to you, which is which was hair that wasn't just like non-objectionable, which in a way I think his haircut almost is now. He had great hair. You know, there was. The, the conservative party ads in 2015, you remember nice hair though, how they ended like, yo, yeah, just yeah, yeah. not ready. Great hair though. The liberal party ads that, you know, that were in some way a rebuttal of it. They sort of flipped him through like a bunch of random haircuts. Oh, Do you remember the I animated? Forgot. I, no, no, yeah. no. But I forgot that. Right. Good reminder. Yeah. Really good reminder. Yeah. I mean, his hair and the fact that his hair was so star spangled awesome was like a big part of who he was and being like this young up and coming leader. He's now the, like well, he's the oldest of the leaders now, but he was the youngest at the time, right? He so, was being compared to Harper. He was being compared to Mulcair. Carter, this is so Corey makes a good point that that Justin Trudeau and his hair inextricably linked, right? Perhaps even part of the broader brand appeal, the snap judgment that people made about him. 
enhanced his charisma. Obviously, part of the full, you know, physical presentation of a candidate when people made the decision around halo effects on competency around white men, which we've talked about in the past. But Carter, all of this, you know, and I'll, and I'll kind of put aside my sort of like, oh my goodness, can we even talk about? It? I'll put that aside for a second. Fucking Trudeau campaign knows this. The Trudeau camp knows this. Justin Trudeau knows this. He knows it's part of the package. So when we see something like this, is it fair to say that there's some strategy and some thoughtfulness behind a haircut like this? That it can't just be, yay, it's, my hair is too big for summer. It's going to be a hot summer. Climate change is real. I need to get a fucking haircut. Um, there has to be some thought behind what this does to, you know, nerdy conversations like this. Yes. But to the overall brand presentation of Justin Trudeau going forward. What do you think, Carter? I don't know. I mean, this is a conversation mm. you have in year minus one when you're trying to get your candidate elected. I'm sure it's much harder to have this type of conversation in year seven. You know, when they when are the prime they, minister, you mean? Yeah, when they're I mean, like, yeah. You know, like I'm not sure the prime minister runs his haircut choices through a, a through an image consultant anymore. I think that that those days were long, you know, long ago held, and now he gets to do pretty much what he wants, basically on the assumption that he's going to keep things relatively stable. Um, you know, because that's what smart politicians do. They don't, they have haircuts more frequently uh, than the average person and they don't make changes because you don't, you know, you want people not to see massive change. Massive change makes us feel uncomfortable. Now, this is a very interesting uh, channel changer. You know, we're not talking about inflation. We're talking about haircuts, um, but it's not going to stop us talking about inflation, right? Yeah. I think that we'll still be talking about inflation. It's just now, you know, well, the care that, you know, the, the the prime minister doesn't care. He's only, um, you know, he, he's just got himself a haircut. He, you know, he's not even paying attention to inflation. He can afford a, well, I mean, this to me looks like a twenty dollars supercut. To be honest, I don't, I don't know what happened here. Maybe that's the message. Wouldn't that have oh, been great if that was oh, the message, Zane? I, I that should have mentioned great. earlier. Supercuts is the sponsor of this episode, so if you can be. Can we re? Can we just get like a clean cut of you saying any other haircut company? Yeah, yeah. sure. That w- th- this doesn't even look like uh, you know like a professional haircut. This looks like a twenty dollars supercuts haircut. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. Right, you, you made this. You made the same mistake. Did you I made the same mistake? Th- yeah. Okay. Here, I'll I'll try again. Try again. Um, yeah. So Justin Trudeau wanted to reset the channel and wanted to show people that he was concerned about inflation. So he went and got himself a much cheaper haircut, one that you can get at Supercuts for only twenty dollars. Sponsor of this episode of the Strategies. <laughs> I, I, I actually I got it wrong. It was Magic Cuts, but thank you. Let's keep moving. Okay. Thank you again, Magic. <sighs> it's cuts. so hard to keep track of our, our sponsors. Um, it's just it's just so many of them. There's just I know, bursting out the seams. In. Um, yeah, Corey, talk to me about this channel changer, really overstatement by Carter. What do you think? Um, you know, it's funny. Somebody gets a haircut like that, like really changes their look. I think like just people, like, let's just talk about people for a minute. You sort of wonder like, wonder what they're going for. And one of the things I would notice about Justin Trudeau, or I would observe about him is like, he did the whole facial hair thing during the Mm -hmm. pandemic, right? There was that touch of gray that was then all of a sudden in it. Um, he shaved that off for the election. He, um, you know, he he's now gotten his his super cut. Um, should have gone to magic cuts, much better haircuts there, I'm told. And um, it makes me wonder why, to a certain extent, but it must be exhausting. Like to Stephen's point about hair and brand, like the minute you're sort of elected and the hair is part of your brand... It, 
like it's been seven years. He might just want a different hairstyle, right? He might just be tired of that one, but he feels like he's always going to be pulled back to it. Like it's the expectation. The expectation is he doesn't have a beard. The expectation is he has long hair. He's going to have to just keep doing this. The thing I wanted to point out though, is his dad did this too. Like Mm. Carter, you're the only one who's, who'd be old enough to remember here, but like there was this, (laughs) yeah. Right. I think it, there was this one vacation Trudeau came back with the shitty beard, right? And then and he sported that for a couple of months. And people said, Why you got a beard? What what are you doing here? Right? And they had to pull it back before the next election. So it does seem to be a, a Trudeau character uh effect here, uh, to do it. But like like I guess what I would say is maybe it's a channel changer. Um, maybe it's subconsciously him bridling against always having to be the same person. But maybe he's just a guy who's had the same haircut for 20 years and wouldn't mind trying something different. I'm not even sure he has had it straight for 20 years. But, you know, my what I'm saying here is maybe he just wants a haircut. People sometimes is, get haircuts. Is that the you know what? Occam's Prime razor approach don't. or Occam's Prime scissor approach? Prime ministers and presidents Hilarious. don't. You're welcome. I'm here all week. And I can do many I of used, these. Yeah, Occam's I can do many I of these. I just got it. I just got uh, it. To get it? Because it's, it's yeah. also, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's sheer brilliance. Again, I just did it again. Oh my goodness. Carter, oh, wow. I'll go back to you. I'll go back to you, please. Carter, go ahead. This is, uh, no, I'm fine. This is the sheer madness uh, of my good. Podcast. Hey, Corey, I want to let you finish on this. This wasn't even a segment. This is our pre, uh, pre-segment banter. So oh, there good. You go. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're welcome, everyone. Um, <laughs> Gerard Kennedy, what's the tie-in? What the hell were you talking about? I have no fucking idea. You told me to come back to it. I have no fucking clue what you're going to go with right. here. So in 2006, at the, the Liberal Convention, um, many people remember it primarily for the outcome that Stefan Dion became leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, right? The, uh, the thing that I don't think many people realize is that Gerard Kennedy getting a bad haircut may have made that happen. So Gerard Kennedy, like our prime minister, had long hair, medium length hair, looked serious and established and gave him kind of an erudite vibe. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, uh, you know, he was able to sort of carry that through. And on the first, you know, going into the convention on that first day, I can tell you, I was a delegate at that convention. Uh, George Kennedy showed up with what is actually, when I look back at the pictures, a pretty normal haircut, but it was mm-hmm. very different from what he was rocking in the months before. And there was like whispers, like what's going on with Gerard Kennedy's hair. And it just made him look so much younger. It, it made him look boyish instead of somebody who might be, you know, the next prime minister of Canada. And what I think about there is that on the first ballot, which is made up of people who are pledged and then the Canadian version of superdelegates, which were ex officio delegates who were able to vote however they wanted, um, the, you know, going into it based on elected delegates, the expectation is the order of candidates would be Ignatia first, Ray second, Kennedy third, Dion fourth. Mm-hmm. And the thing that propelled Dion into this like insane momentum, which actually carried him to the leadership of the job, was that on that first ballot where Gerard Kennedy was like a hundred elected delegates ahead, Stefan Dion ended up in third place. So he by two votes, 856 delegates to 854, Stefan Dion was uh was in third place coming out of that ballot. And from there, Martha Hall Finley dropped and and you know then goes to Stefan Dion. And then on the second ballot, Dion is still ahead of Kennedy. And Kennedy and Dion had a deal where whoever was behind on that kind of like that second ballot or the elimination ballot, Jeffers first, would throw to the other. Kennedy's delegates all came to Dion. Like by and large, you look at the numbers, pretty clean transfer. I can tell you, like as a Dion organizer, 
at the time in that election, we would not have been able to deliver our delegates in the same way to the Kennedy campaign. Would not have happened. It simply would not have happened. Uh, and a, a huge chunk of them would have bled to the Ray campaign. If that ha if it had gone the other way, if one person had decided, actually, I can live with that haircut, I'm going to vote for Gerard Kennedy, and the vote flips, and the vote order is the same, Bob Ray would have won that leadership. Bob Ray would have won that leadership, and the parallel history that spins out after that is Wait, what insane. The fuck? <laughs> there's no green shift. Carter, are you still betting? No Carter, you may want to losers. Carter, you want to take your medication. <laughs> you may want to take. I'm supposed to be the lunatic fringe on this podcast. <laughs> you may, I'm a little you may disappointed. Take... What? <laughs> what are you doing with your life? Let me tell you something, Zane. Bad yeah, haircuts can change the course of history. True. Two votes, man. Oh my god. Oh, by the way, do you know what happens? Yada yada yada. Bob Ray's yeah, leader. Go, go ahead. Jason Kenney's Prime Minister of Canada. Okay, I, will, I won't even let you go the, into the interim steps. I'll just buy it. That's fine. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Carter. Uh, that non-segment, of course, brought to us by Flair Airlines. Flair Airlines, just like a bad haircut, there's room for us to grow. Let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, Summer Surprise. Guys, we are in, what are we? We're mid-July. So I, we're entering the six weeks. And Stephen Carter, we do this. We do this episode every summer, as you know. Yeah, of course we do. Yep. We prepare I'm for. A, I'm a big fan. The dog days of summer, the six yep. weeks or so, where people are, as we know, people are off this week, next week, all the way until the end of August. So people are kind of loosening up a bit. They're they've got travel plans if they could make them. They've got vacation plans at the very least. They're taking time mm -hmm. off, and that also goes for our political parties, our political leaders, the political operators. Everyone's, you know. Taking a big breath. And yes, there's leadership races, the UCP, the conservative leadership race federally. But folks are also cognizant that normals and the everyday folk are, are taking time off as well. So, Carter, mm -hmm. what I want to do, as we do every year, is we want to talk about the these threats to parties that they yeah. face during the summer. Of course, there's the natural threats or the obvious ones, right, for the liberals if they don't get their handle on how government runs, passports, inflation, cost of living. Yeah, that's the obvious stuff. But I want to talk about what surprises are in store, what sneak attacks each political party needs to be aware of. What are things that are not front and center that a, a maybe a summer government is looking at saying, OK, we've got one priority, one priority loan. Let us get through this that they can lose sight of, that they can um, drop the ball on, that they can perhaps have uh, as an attack or an issue or a situation happen to them. So I want you guys to obviously look beyond the obvious, you know, the conservatives. I think the obvious one, let me put out another example, is that they go so hard and so scorched earth against each other that they have no pathway to reconciling on the back end of the leadership. OK, that's the obvious one. What's not so obvious for them over the next six weeks when people take a break, when people take their foot off the gas? And Carter, the best way to start is to start. Let's go with the federal liberal party, the governing party of this country. What is a surprise or sneak thing that they need to be careful of, aware of over the course of the next six weeks when people try to exhale a bit? Don't let the prime minister get a haircut unsupervised. <laughs> no, I think that the problem that they have is that um, they're going to be the, the, the continued branding of the individual problem, you know, that exists worldwide right now of, of significant inflation uh, yep. due to you know, due to worldwide factors that are going to be then cast upon the individual governments, right? Joe Biden's facing it. 
Boris Johnson arguably faced it. Uh, certainly the people of Sri Lanka have spoken that they are not pleased with their leadership and have occupied the presidential palace and driven out the prime minister. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, that, that, that kind of local, the, the worldwide drama taking place locally, um, as it becomes a narrative that becomes lodged on you as a, as a political leader, Rachel Notley faced this uh, right after she was elected. Um, she was, of course, the, the, you know, 2015, she was the one who, who brought on the world, uh, the world change in oil prices, right? Except it was all her, a, you know, a lowly premier of Alberta who destroyed oil and gas in, in Alberta. Um, though that's the type of thing that, that haunts a government forever and you can never recast yourself with it. And I think that that's the Trudeau problem right now is that they're going to literally become what Pierre Polyev has been, uh, trying to hawk, uh, through his just inflation. Um, I think that if he just dropped the just inflation shit and just said, you know, we can't afford things, uh, that this could be a just, that, that, the Trudeau liberals may never be able to walk away from this because it doesn't feel to me like it's a six month problem or a six week problem. It feels to me like this could easily be a two year problem. Corey, Carter gave us the obvious one. I, I said Carter, not the, the not so obvious one. So, Corey, let me rephrase this. Oh, what do you mean? That's uh, No, I'll come back to you. You'll get a second chance. Carter, life's all about second chance, especially on this show. Okay. Corey. You're the liberals and you're the strategist in the room for the liberals that's that's there to say, OK, yes, this, the obvious thing is cost of living inflation. But here's the not so obvious. Here's the thing that I need you to focus on as well. Here's the thing I need you to be aware of or have a defense of as well. If you're in the room for the liberals as they as they plan to caretake over the course of the next six weeks, what is that for you, Corey? There's a lot of things that I think the liberals have piling up right now. Um, mm. I'm, I'm trying to think of an umbrella that maybe covers all of these here. But look, the, the liberals have a number of, um, you know, scandals, big and small issues, big and small that are starting to pile up at their doorstep. And um, I think that the liberal partisans and perhaps even the liberal inner circles are almost underplaying them. You know, it's just, oh, it's just. It's just Pierre Polyev doing Pierre Polyev things. And, you know, what I would mm -hmm. say is just because your opponents are saying it for political gain doesn't mean it's not a problem with the general public. And so I think that they've got to they've got to get outside of the partisan blinders and like this dismissal of any attack that comes from the opponents and actually look at what Canadians are feeling right now and and what they're getting credit for and what they're not, because the liberals are very quick to point to what I, I have said is a very impressive record of change you know everything from legalizing cannabis to universal child care to you name it uh, you know significant spending in a lot of different sectors has really remade canadian society since 2015 uh -huh. i think in a consequential way unparalleled in decades for sure right but there is always with voters the what have you done for me lately effect and the recency uh you know bias that that plays into this here and and those issues i was talking about some are at a boil, some are at a simmer, but the liberals can't sit there and bat them away and say, that's nothing compared to we just got you childcare or something. Right, right. right passport right. office, it's a problem. People get passports. Pearson Airport, it's a problem. People want to fly. RCMP impropriety out in Nova Scotia, the suggestion mm -hmm, that maybe mm -hmm. they use that tragedy for, for gains on, on firearms, that's a problem. Yeah. High inflation, of course. It doesn't matter that it's a global challenge. I mean, 
in a way, you could blame nobody if you just want to take this nihilistic, oh, what do you do? It's a problem everywhere sort of answer to things here, right? It's taking down governments of left and right variety all over the globe. And it's something that the liberals have to be on top of because they are the government and they are going to wear it. Even things like the Rogers outage, that's a problem. And it's a problem that occurred while they're in government. And they can't sit and say, oh, you're just blaming us for this. It's not our fault. This is just kind of conservative attacks. There's this general malaise in the country that they need to be very mindful of. And just because that malaise is being exacerbated by and, and you know certainly articulated by the opposition doesn't make it any less real. So I think that as I've talked this out, the thing the liberals need to be worried about, the sneak attack here, is they need to not discount things simply because they're coming from the conservatives. Mm. Well, and Pierre Polyev specifically, you know, we we have a visceral reaction to Pierre Polyev. We don't, oh, I don't like vis- Pierre Polyev. There's a lot of people who don't like Pierre Polyev, who know him very well. And I would suggest a lot of those people are in the Liberal Party uh, war rooms or whatever rooms that they're making up their strategies in. They know who Pierre is. They know what a, uh, a character he he represents, and they choose to minimize him. Uh, but he is he is showing. Uh, do you think, Carter, do you think they're choosing to minimize him? Like, we haven't seen much in the way of, and we've talked extensively about whether the liberals should go early on Pierre, but I don't know if I agree that they're choosing to minimize him. Like, what sense do you have that they are and they're not taking him seriously let me from a planning it. perspective? Dane, yeah. Let me rephrase it into your question, which, and your yeah, question yeah. was what, what could sneak up to them? On them? The rephrasing of the, of the answer is, they they should not take him lightly because in mm. six to eight weeks, he could very well be the leader of the opposition and his polling numbers could leap above Justin Trudeau's by five points. That's an interesting point. You know, when, uh, last time we discussed this concept about Pierre was was a few months back. We now sit here, what, mid, mid-July? So we're only about, two, I, you guys correct me on the math, a couple months away from more than likely Pierre being elected. And then mm-hmm. it's like from there on in, like it's, it, you would expect that the liberals would probably need a bunch of material that they have scheduled, planned, strategized to rip him down and tear him down, or at least try to make a go of it. Would you not, Carter? I would expect so. But again, you might just say, you know, like if you're just sitting back and you're saying, well, we know who this guy is, the Canadian public will soon discover him. Um, that's not a particularly mm. good strategy. So you you need to do the heavy lifting. And we have talked about before the liberals' inability to do rapid response, um, yeah. to do that type of work. So, so if they if they don't know how to do it, if they haven't done it before, what makes them think that they can do it now? Okay. You know, this is an interesting yeah. one for me because um, we are still so far away from an election, but you right. obviously want to define them early. We've seen how successful that can be with Stefandion, by the way, who makes his second cameo appearance of the podcast uh, with Michael Ignatieff. You, you come in and you define somebody. But you know, one of the things that Stephen Harper did really effectively with both of those cases was he defined them not about an issue or a topic Mm. or a policy, Mm -hmm. but about character. Really rapidly defined Stefandion as somebody who was feckless over his head. Do you think it is easy to make priorities, right? Uh, Michael Ignatieff just visiting. Again, these are character attacks. They're not actually rooted on very much. And I think the liberals need to be prepared to define Pierre Polyev's character. But I think it would be a mistake to spend the first week that Pierre Polyev is leader of the conservatives to be talking about Bitcoin, unless Bitcoin is in some ways ramping up and, and laddering into a character attack. So 
Um, I, I agree with Steven. They've got to be careful. And, you know, the sneak attack might be the most obvious attack yet. It's just that Pierre Polyev is going to come in and go guns blazing. And all of a sudden he's going to be in the House of Commons and he's going to be shouting across to Justin Trudeau. I've got your daddy's name and I want your daddy's job and flipping him the finger and, <laughs> you know, doing. I like that. I, I don't know. A, is that quote from? That's, that's, a, that's, like a, that. that's a pretty I got your daddy's legendary name. <laughs> yeah. legendary scene from from dave if you haven't seen it i i, yeah, I recommend checking dave. it out Corey, i'm gonna stick with you for our next one conservatives you know they've got their their obvious issues perhaps around unity on a federal level talk about the federal right. conservatives here what's their sneak attack what's their thing what's their surprise that they need to keep their eye on uh on on over the course of the next six weeks or so as we head into uh early september well, um, you, you said obviously unity, and that's the one I was going to say. So I will yeah. just talk about nothing for five seconds as I come up with a different answer here. But <laughs> I, I think that the big risk for them really is pacing, right? They, it's pacing. Okay. It's pacing. They've got this guy who's going to be their new leader, almost certainly, in Pierre Polyev. He's going to come in. He's going to He's going to unload both barrels. He's going to try to define things. The liberals will probably be caught a little flat-footed there'll be a bit of a halo effect but no, it doesn't matter the election is not until 2025 right as as much as you know this pundit class around conservatives have tried to wish into effect a snap fall election that's not gonna fucking happen it's no not way. gonna happen yeah. the liberals were up by like i don't know five to ten points when they called the last election and they ended up behind by two they're not going to make the mistake yeah. of going into an election where they're behind by two. They'll get crushed. They will not be government coming out of this thing. They know it. There's no appetite for it. The fatigue is real. All of those issues I listed is a not a complete list. We could also talk about immigration visa backlog, use of emergencies act, Nord Stream turbines in Ukraine. I mean, the list goes on. Why in the fuck would they go to an yeah. election right now? Mm -hmm, Nobody mm -hmm. is thinking about that. And if the conservatives act as though there's an election coming and start firing all their shots and try to define the things and, and move the way they're looking to move, just to be sitting there in November saying, well, I guess we got a few years to kill, that'll be a mistake. Because in some ways, what they might do is just lock themselves into a certain definition of themselves, use all of that wonderful opportunity to define a new leader uh, and define it in an election setting, which doesn't give you a huge range of motion. And then the liberals can just adjust. They can maybe even get a new leader. They can certainly get new policies. They can take different approaches. The conservatives need to think about the long game, and the long game requires range of motion. So that means when you come out as the new leader, you're giving yourself the opportunity to do many things over the next three years, and you're not putting yourself in a box. I like that pacing by Corey Carter. Let's uh, hold your thoughts, and I'm going to come back to both of you on the conservatives trying to pedal and certainly fundraise off of, we hear the liberals are going to go to the polls in the fall. Hold your thought on that. Carter, your take on on the on the federal conservatives and their surprise or sneak attack or something they need to keep their eye on uh, eye out on as they look at uh, some of the obvious things uh, around their party and their leadership here. The pivot, the pivot. I think that we're all anticipating the great pivot of uh, 2023, where Pierre Polyev goes from being the insane lunatic that's appealing to uh, the truck drivers and the. Um, you know, the anti-vaxxers and the crypto bros and the, all yeah. the various uh, sub, you know, micro targets that he's been aiming for. And he starts to go after the, uh, the middle. All right. And when he starts to go after that middle, that pivot is going to be jarring, uh, to say the least. One of the interesting things about Trump is Trump never moved to the middle. Trump dragged the middle to him, to him. And I don't think, uh, 
I don't think Pierre Polyev is Trump. I think Pierre Polyev will try and do a pivot to the middle. I certainly think that that's what his senior organizers think he's going to do. And when they do that pivot to the middle, it's going to be, uh, it could be the end of the conservative party. I mean, it's, I, I don't think it breaks it apart necessarily, but it, you know, that, that breakup, that holding everybody together is, is what you said was the obvious piece, but the, mm -hmm. the pivot, the pivot to the middle is the, is the part that's going to be so hard to do because it's so hard to hold together that the, the factions of the conservative party, we saw it in Michelle Rempel Gardner's letter, right? These are, these are separate groups in both the provincial and the federal parties that, that, that are going to be hard to hold together. And if you pivot, uh, which Pierre Polyev, I believe, knows he has to do. It's going to be jarring for everybody, and uh, that might be give that might be so negative for the conservatives that it actually gives the liberals a chance to recover and, and hold their own. I I don't know if I agree with you, Carter, that that Pierre is going to pivot. I mean, Cord, you want to spend a few seconds on this because I, I like what you said at a high level, Carter, being mindful of the pivot, but nothing about what Pierre Polyev has said, done, his tone, his cadence, his policy suggests to me that a pivot is is within question. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to pivot. I, I think the Pierre we see now is the Pierre we're going to get. Maybe he'll put more emphasis on certain things, but I don't even think to the level that you could describe it as a pivot. He is who he is. And if he's learned anything from Trump, it's that maybe there's an area like the Midwest out there where you can just go and create an entirely different path to victory. And I think that's that seems to me seems to me has to be just based on the fact that otherwise his strategy is insane because he's going to be antagonizing other people yeah that, that what he's doing is he's trying to take a message that he's workshopping right now and take it out into the field further i think you're gonna i think we're gonna see a massive pivot Ooh, i think we're I gonna see a massive pivot and that's the don't you think this, the don't you think carter Pierre Polyev's selling proposition is that the last three shots that this party has had saw a pivot and those pivots were fucking bullshit. They're ineffective that I'm going for purity and purity alone. And in fact, I, not only am I going for that, I have been that consistently for the decade plus. I don't know how long he's been in office. I forget at the top of my head, maybe two decades plus I've been in public life. I've been pure to the T Carter. So don't you think a pivot yeah. is a betrayal? It could be, but this is what I'm, I'm telling you. I'm predict. I think there's oh, going to be a pivot, I, and I think it's going to be devastating for the party. Carter, talk to me about this this other piece right here. This um, conservatives peddling a fall election by the Trudeau Liberals. What's the strategy here? Clearly, there's a fundraising strategy, right? That this is we need the money, we need to be ready. What is it beyond that in your mind? What do you think they're trying to do, and are they successful in these, doing it? These craven liberals will do anything. These craven liberals will do anything they want, you know, to do to to maintain and to hold on to power. They will uh, they'll hold an election 15 minutes after holding their last election. It defines the brand positioning that they want the liberals mm. in. And if it doesn't happen, then you get to say at the end, "Thank God you did that. Thank God you held them to Thank account." Thank God you helped prevent it, right? You As in the donor, you the supporter. Sure, yeah. You made sure that they weren't going to be successful uh, through your actions, through your donations. Um, but it reinforces a brand position for the for the liberals uh, from the conservative point of view. And that is that they're craven. They will do anything to hold on to power um, when really the craven population in this particular case, in my mind, uh, are the, the, the conservatives who are making up a story uh, that is absolutely implausible uh, for all the reasons that Corey said. 
a few moments ago. Corey, you talked about how it's implausible. I think we're all on side with you in agreeing that the liberals are, are not going to go to the polls in the fall. But talk to me about the strategy or what do you think the conservatives are trying to do and maybe build on what, what Carter said, if you agree with it? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, d- I don't think that... <laughs> look, I, I got super hung up on the fact that Carter kept using the word craven, which is a synonym for cowardly, as though it was opportunistic. And so I think maybe we should oh, just you'll get all marinate you'll get that for a minute. Yeah, let's let's uh, do it. Let's just take a moment for it. Let's go yeah. ahead, Corey. Let's just take a moment. Okay. Okay, that's a good moment here. Okay, that's a good that's a really I, good I moment. Know. Okay, back that's to you, good. Corey. It really doesn't I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say. For all of the reasons I said, this is not gonna happen in the fall. I think that the conservatives know that too. Yeah. And um uh, they are just right now trying to build a hype machine. But the thing about a hype machine like that is it can get a bit out of control and all of a sudden you start to believe it. And then if you're believing that hype machine and you start acting towards that, uh, you've kind of screwed yourself. So maybe that's another sneak attack they need to look up on, which is they too cannot believe their own fucking press. They cannot have a situation where they think that there's going to be a fall election and start moving all of their resources towards it. Carter, do you think Pierre starts adopting this fall election mantra? I haven't seen him do it thus far. This has come from the party and peddled by operatives. I haven't seen Pierre on the stump being like, these fucking liberals are going to go do it in the fall. Do you think he'll do it? And should he do it from a purely opportunistic uh i i arguably uh carter craven perspective should they do it should are the you, conservatives are you, are you should the conservatives the, uh, i am i am that's much more that's sophisticatedly nice. yes i am uh, uh should should the conservatives pick or should pierre pick this up carter should pierre pick it up no because yeah. Pierre should be pro- projecting strength pierre should be saying i hope they fucking do i hope they fucking do i hope they bring it i hope they bring it and i hope they bring their best operatives because i could crush them like small bugs that should be pierre's position <laughs> Pierre's position should be, I'm strong, they are weak, I hope they do it. And it's something that only he can, can carry. Um, the, the, the weakness implied by this, um, by this positioning is so bad. Like, it is so bad for the conservatives to be like, you know, we're so weak that, the conservative, that we will be overrun if they chose to have another election. I mean, come on, be strong. I hope they have one. And I think that Pierre is strong enough to say, I hope they have one. I hope they call it. I'm the only one who can beat them. That's the thing that makes total sense for Pierre. Corey, what do you think? Should should Pierre pick this up as a line of just pure political opportunism? Do you feel like there's a opportunity there for, for his campaign and his tone and how he has structured his pathway to victory by now hammering that the liberals are going to go to the polls in, 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 in the fall, so to speak? Well, let's play this out. Um, yeah, let's do it. For him, it would actually be, for all of the reasons why I said the liberals would be insane to go to the polls in the fall, it would be very advantageous for him to go to Correct. the polls in the fall, right? Yeah. Halo effect, so, all the things we've talked about. Is there yeah. anything he could do that would make a fall election more likely? Uh, if if you're Pierre Polyev, maybe that's the thing you want to get on. And, and maybe it's a simple pride thing. Maybe you want to goad the liberals into it, you know, say, well... You were you barely had a mandate to begin with. The conservatives got more votes than you. You're an illegitimate government. You don't have the stones. I dare I double dog dare you basically to call this election. Let's settle this right now. What do you say? But I you know, I actually think that's very childish and I don't think it'd be likely to happen. Um, but I don't know. Like I if you're Pierre Polyev, I don't think your version of this is boy, uh, there's a risk of a fall election, guys. It's 
they'll never do it. They're a bunch of they're they know how unhappy Canadians are with them. They know mm-hmm. Canadians want to live in the freest country on earth. I would welcome that election anytime. I think Canadians deserve that election. This government has shown as recently as through the use of the Emergencies Act that they have lost any legitimacy to govern. They've lost the authority to govern. And it's time for an election. I know we just had one. But when events have changed so substantially, as this government has done through their illegal acts in the winter, as Canadians with sincere concerns about vaccine mandates and the infringements they were putting on their freedom came forward, then yeah, let's clear the air on this. Let's have a fall election. What do you say? I've got your dad's name. I've got your name. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Carter. Carter, you hear Pierre Polyev uh, say how uh, what Corey just said. And by the way, they look so similar. It's almost like uh, it was Pierre like just listening said it. to Pierre. It's almost yeah. like he said it. Yeah. yeah. It's almost yeah. like he said it. It's like one of those. Corey, could you have some wood near you that you can stroke while repeating that again? Because I think uh, I think if really you do, good. we could just record this. Yeah, and Corey, just put can it up while you stroke your wood. <laughs> Jesus. No, Christ. I came out wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did come out wrong, Carter. It's brought uh, to you Carter? by Magic Cuts. Magic Cuts. <laughs> Carter, you hear what Corey just said over the course of this summer from Pierre, next six weeks. Are you impressed by that? Are you like, hmm, interesting, interesting play by this guy? Uh, you know, not just attacking his opponent, because he probably doesn't have one in Charest, so to speak, now that Brown's gone, but he's going after Trudeau and he's going after him electorally on an election. Are you impressed by if you if you heard what Corey just said coming out of the mouth of Pierre Polyev uh, this summer? Yeah, I am for sure, because he looks strong. Politics isn't just about being strong or being, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Politics is about appearing to be more than you actually are. You know, I used to call it uh, this idea of creating myth, you know, a mythical uh, level of, uh, you know, expectation around yourself. And then people started to equate myth with lying. So I moved away from the language. But the, the idea of myth is what carries us in politics. We become mythical beings, bigger and stronger than than the than the sum of our parts, and I think that Pierre could truly become that. Uh, he mm. has the ability to become mythical. Um, he's his his oratory skills um, are so strong that they can that he can carry this type of messaging when others others wouldn't be able to, especially against Justin Trudeau, who you know with, like Samson with his hair cut off no longer has that that power. Carter, I, federal NDP, I, I can't spend a bunch of time on this because Canadians are not spending a bunch of time on this. But Ooh. what the fuck do they? Okay, correct, Carter. I got uh, I got Carter's answer on the federal NDP, which was who? Uh, I'm going to take that as relevancy. Corey, do you have anything for me on the federal NDP? Their sneak and surprise attack this summer. I I suspect their obvious thing is just chasing relevancy and keeping this pack together with the liberals. But do you have anything for me on what they need to be? Not I so mean, obviously aware of this summer. What do you why, think? Do you, why do you always take the one I'm going to give uh, and just dismiss it as not worth discussing? Because I could very easily do this show myself. <laughs> I think everyone needs to know uh, that. Uh, go ahead, look, Corey. I think, no, but I think that is the one. So the NDP are in an interesting mm-hmm. position. I still think that they are not badly positioned with their deal to get a number of things out of the liberal government that they can then try to take credit for. Yep. And they don't want the election. But the flip side of that is, of course, they might lose all credit and all relevancy if they're not careful. So they do need to still carve out a place for themselves and they still need to show that they're fighting for things. And the sneak attack for them that they need to be always on the lookout for is being uh, put into checkmate by the conservatives. The conservatives Mm. will be perpetually looking for something where it will just make the NDP eat, uh, you know, a dairy farm worth of shit. 
if they are going to stand with the liberals on it. And so the NDP do need to duck and weave a bit. They need to stay away from absolute statements that might then result in confidence votes where they're going to have to back down and lose a lot of face. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've, got to, they've got to watch it. And for them, in some ways, the relevancy that they should be worried about, that's, that's secondary to the gamesmanship the conservatives are going to start orchestrating in a big way come the fall. Like they are going to be trying to wrong foot the NDP perpetually to create a situation where an election is more likely. As long as the polls are like this, you can bet that's going to be the conservative strategy. The NDP don't want to fall for it because of the government that goes down in that way and NDP bringing down a liberal government, that's, that's a very risky situation for the NDP uh, because a lot of their, um, you know, not partisans, but supporters might say, well, I guess if I want the liberal government to stay, I better vote liberal this time. Carter, I didn't give you a fair shake on the NDP, although I, 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 I railroaded. When the do I ever aspect. get a fair shake? <laughs> you never get, get a fair, a fair shake. shake. Right yeah. now, literally right fucking now. <laughs> I'm going back to you. I'm circling back. I'm letting you peek at Corey's answer. I'm letting you make it better. I'm giving you a, a opportunity to hit it out of the park. Stephen Carter, snake attack for the federal NDP. What do you think it is? Well, I think it, it's aware? already happened. They already agreed to it. When they agreed to this stupid agreement with the Trudeau liberals, they put themselves in a position where they lost all their relevance. They've lost the room to play. Corey has just described how they've lost their ability to move with, you know, back and forth and ask for new things. They've asked for everything. They're going to get everything. And now the, the conservatives get to be the only players on the field. I disagree with that. Corey agreed with me. Corey agreed with me and said that the NDP are caught flat footed because of the agreement that they signed uh, months ago, which I was correct in saying was a stupid agreement. Corey, 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 you have to be careful about that. What they need to be careful about is an issue that the conservatives can put them on the wrong, like, the conservatives are trying to create different wedges. The NDP are more than able to uh, continue to say, hmm, I don't think the liberals have done that well enough. Hmm, there's this other thing I'm concerned about that the liberals haven't done, as long as it plays to their advantage and it makes people more likely to vote for them. But the risk that they have is the conservatives finding issues that create divides that are not helpful to them, that all of a sudden they feel because of a previous statement or because of their standing with their base, they've got to be wrong footed in some way, shape or form. And this stuff happens all the time. And it happens more often when people are making half-cocked absolute statements. So the NDP just need to be very careful not to be led down the garden path by the conservatives. Doesn't mm. mean they can't yank the liberals' chains whenever they see the need. Yeah, they can't because they already signed the deal. <laughs> Carter, well, can I move it provincially? So open to interpretation, but... Yeah, Corey's wrong. I'm right. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Carter, let's move it provincially. You know what? Let's stick with NDP. Uh, home province, Alberta NDP. Um, you know, they, they've got... The, the obvious sort of pathway to victory with a new leader, perhaps, uh, as their focus. What is the non-obvious? What is the surprise? What is a sneak attack thing that the provincial NDP needs to be aware of? The fact that they're trying to win every every battle every day. There's never, ever been an army that goes to war that, that tries to win on every front at all times. You you absolutely must make strategic choices. And, the, and when you look at what the NDP is talking about on a daily basis, they are leaping from issue to issue uh, with no uh, structural connection between these issues. It is, it's, it's weak. Um, it's, it, it, what you need to do over the summer is repeat, 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 repeat. That is what you need to do over the summer. Because over the summer, no one is paying attention. 
They're out doing outside things. Even you, Zane, have bought outside camping chairs. I don't understand why. You don't understand we, why. Uh, we'll use them in the living room. In fact, they make really nice uh, reading chairs in the living room. We'll probably use them there, Carter. So thank you for asking. Thank you for noticing. Uh, uh, what are but you those, spending your dividends from the strategists on? Because those you, camping chairs will not choices. will not feel outside. Well, they will not yeah. see a single speck of dirt on them. My, Go ahead, my, Carter. Uh, yeah. My point is simply this. Uh, people aren't paying attention, and you must repeat, 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 repeat. Did you see what I just did there? Some may, some people may notice. For example, even our own numbering system right now is nine ninety nine point nine 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 nine. Why? Because we're keeping your fucking attention. Summer. That's so why it's <laughs> summer. It's summer, right? We got to keep you clinging to this idea that at one point there will be a one thousand. That's why we're here. That's why we're here is to teach you guys the big lessons in small ways, and that's what we've done. We've done that through our numbering, and that's what we need to teach the NDP. Stop doing a fucking issue a day. Pick two issues, three issues, and do them for the whole summer. Or I will come up to Edmonton, and I will rip your arms off, and I will beat you about the head. Because you will continue. You will lose if you continue to do this. To do it this way. Is that uh, just mark it. Uh, a 56-minute mark. Uh, Stephen Carter chose violence. <laughs> Excellent. Corey, the provincial NDP. <coughs> You're in Alberta. Uh, they're surprised, they're sneak, they're, they're low burn, slow burn item they need to be aware of. What is it? Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Carter's thing before going yeah. to a different thing here. I, I don't entirely disagree with sort of the cornerstone of the critique. I think he has always um, has gone overboard in his interpretation of it. And I also think there's a reality that as an opposition party, you're always trying to get into the news in certain ways, but they do need to make a, uh, even if the connection's clear to them, I don't think it's clear to me, and it's certainly not going to be clear to voters, how some of these day-on, day-out concerns are laddering up into the story about the NDP. And I'm going to pick an example today I saw just before we started here, which was uh, like an inquiry into the beef prices going up. And you know people are really far behind, and uh, you know they're going to go into even more debt buying beef, right? Mm-hmm. So a um, couple of things immediately there right? Uh, that uh, you can give them style points or take them away, but certainly they were choices. Going to even more debt suggests they're trying to create a very gray economic picture out there in the province of Alberta, right? Things are dismal right now. Not really sure that's where people are so necessarily feeling in this oil, in this oil province. Uh, certainly, we do have high gas prices, but you know, I, I actually think that, the, you know, it feels probably better here relative to times past. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but there's something to be said about making your own weather. But the idea of like an inquiry into beef prices, is that a part of a ladder up into like an affordability concern? Is that about cronyism? Is this going somewhere? Are there suggestion that because there's so few beef producers, there's some sort of malfeasance going on? I don't really know. And then once we get to that affordability concern, do we think and, and um, this, this is rhetorical to a point. What does the data say about affordability? Do people trust the NDP to help with affordability more than the conservatives? Is it the top issue at this point? It's been for a while, so I don't doubt it would be. But then how does it let go into an overall story about an NDP approach to affordability? Is it going to be just kind of inquiries on private businesses? And how's that going to play? I'm not really sure. And I'm not actually even saying any of this is a miss. I'm saying... I don't get how it all fits into the story of the NDP. Like, like what is that narrative that they want to tell at the end of the day? Um, you know, a model that might work for them is like, think of that like advertising sense, that one message, 
what do you want them to think about the NDP at the end of the day? Think X, one thing. Like an NDP government means we're prepared for whatever the future brings, right? Like, let's just say that's the one. And maybe underneath, being prepared for the future means we can afford what's happening. And you've got a whole chain of things underneath there. We're educated for what's happening. Uh, we're, you know, we've got the social supports for what's happening or whatever it is. And then building out those themes underneath. And then perpetually when these things come up, ladder them up. So let's just say it was using that framework and you could say, uh, you know, we're really concerned about the price on beef. Um, this has gotten really out of control. Again, like I struggle to see how it's going to fit in, but like, because we're concerned about affordability because we know Albertans need to be prepared for anything. And that's what the uh, Alberta NDP want to do. Whatever it is, but the point is, it's got to be making an overall point here. But the thing that I actually think they need to be worried about from a sneak attack point of view, not me just sort of trying to clean up Stephen Carter's answer, also perfect. comes from perfect. like the beef tweet or as an example of it, which is like, I, I know Rachel Notley and Rachel is as true an Albertan as they come. <laughs> you know, her family goes back here she rides a horse. She loves a barbecue, loves hockey, you know, all of those stereotypes, all of those cliches you would think. But whenever the NDP does something like the we're doing a beef inquiry or let me show you how much I love my hat, I think, boy, this is going to come off as trying a little hard, right? Like it's a little try hard here. And and like it's almost a doth protest too much. And, and whenever I, the Alberta NDP are trying to show how Albertan they are, I get nervous for them. Like uh, like when they were going so hard into pipelines and they're like, well, we got to go into the pipelines because oil and gas is Alberta and, you know, we're here for Alberta and all of that. I get nervous for them because if like that jingoistic Alberta first, wrap yourself in that blue flag with the gold crest is your thing. Is the NDP your party? Like, I want to see the numbers on this. Like, what's your accessible voter universe look like? And are they really clamoring for more of this or are they disqualifying you because they don't think you're Alberta enough? I'm really doubtful and maybe I shouldn't be and maybe the data backs this up. But I just think like this attempt to sort of wrap in the Alberta flag it never works yeah. for me. I think that they're trying to appeal to Calgary voters and they have such a poor understanding of who the Calgary voter is that they think this is how you do it. And this is not how you do it. That tweet is an excellent example of trying to win a voter that is totally inaccessible to them. They are not ever going to get beef producers in the province of Alberta. Those ranchers are so deeply in the pockets of the UC. They're not even in the UCP anymore. They've gone to the Western separatist parties. They've gone all the way over to, to what's his name, the crazy guy who used to be a member of the uh, of Danielle Smith's caucus. Um, you know, like it's just, it's gone beyond crazy right now. And um, they're trying to win all the voters when they should be trying to win the most voters. Carter, I'm going to go. Well, gonna, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Corey, finish us off with this, and I'll go back to Carter yeah, for the UCP I'm, to finish us off. I'll, I'll just say this: like, ultimately, it comes down to fundamentals, and maybe the data is there. Maybe the data is there. Maybe I'm falling into my own biases as a you know a Calgarian who, admittedly, inner city vegetarian works at a university, right? Like, I I live in my own bubble too, right? But I want to see the data. I want to understand what the accessible voter universe is for the NDP, what matters to them, and everything should be mapped to that. To Stephen's point, you're not trying to win everybody. You're trying to put together a winning coalition. Carter, I'm going to go to you to, for our last one, which is the UCP. What's their sneak attack? They're in a leadership race. They're choosing, frankly, they're choosing a focal point and a direction 
uh, themselves over the course of the summer. A lot of that activity will will take place over the course of the next six weeks. But as they do that, what's their sneak attack? What's their surprise they need to be aware of, Carter? Uh, I think they need to be afraid of of disallowing a candidate. I think they need to be worried about you know <laughs> taking this hot headed idea that. Um, one of the candidates won't fit or more than one of the candidates should be, the party should be protected from them. Um, that would be, that, that, that's a, that's what happens when your party is weak, when you don't have confidence that your that, you know, your leading contenders can actually win. That's when you start to see these, these games being played with, well, let's take out this other candidate. And I guess an, uh, uh, someone that could be serving as an example of this would be Leela here or, um, Raj and Sani, right? One of these uh, candidates that may not, uh, you know, uh, from the first glance have much of a chance of victory, but they're mm-hmm. going to make it difficult for those who do have a chance of victory by bringing up issues and by pointing out things that are are embarrassing to the core values of the UCP. And and you may think the best way to manage that is to get rid of of one or more of these candidates. And I think that's the exact opposite. If you get rid of one or more of these these candidates, you will give license to their position and you will allow them to be the standard bearers of the thing that becomes the next party that will actually potentially be more challenging for you in the long run uh, than the than the NDP is. So my my view is let them go out losers. Don't let them go out martyrs. Corey, your reaction to that and your piece of strategic advice for the UCP on what they should be aware of from a surprise or sneak perspective. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's all true. I, and one of the things that I think we should all keep our eye on now is that now that Patrick Brown has been um, excluded from a leadership race, we've crossed a bit of a Rubicon. And people are going to see that as a legitimate strategy in more and more leadership races. The disqualification of certain candidates based on vibes about election acts or you know, strong suggestions, but maybe something short of an ironclad case. It's, it's likelihood of happening more is up now. It's kind of like the use of the notwithstanding clause. The first time you do it, you take a bit of a drubbing. The second time you do it, everyone's kind of used to it and moved on. Mm. And there is going to be a lot of temptation in a lot of parties, and we've got a couple of leadership races going on here, to to think about disqualification in those contexts, particularly, I think, in conservative parties, because they're going to be taking the lead of other conservative parties. Something to watch very carefully. That can be very toxic, and that can lead to parties blowing themselves up. And anybody who's thinking about that right now, I'd remind you, we have not yet seen the final chapter of this Patrick Brown affair. We do not know that the Conservative Party of Canada survives this in a way that they are totally unscathed as a result of, of the decisions that were made by their leadership election organizing committee. The thing that the UCP needs to worry about here is um, they, they can very easily be tricked into the fact that the polls have started turning back towards them because they are being compared, you know, like they are the conceptual perfect UCP leader is what Albertans are comparing them to Mm -hmm. Rachel Notley, a very well-known commodity. Uh, You know, people in Alberta, very polarized about her, either lover or hater, right? But everybody knows who Rachel Notley is. And so they might say, okay, this, this ground's a little firmer than it is because the reality is when I look at all of the front runners here, I see an awful lot of baggage, an awful lot of baggage that could be thrown back at them in a variety of different ways. 
And so they should not leave this leadership race feeling totally cocksure about themselves. And they should think about how they're going to shore up who they are and what their weaknesses would be. The sneak attack there is that they might be seduced by numbers that show a rebound from the Kenny era and think problem solved. Right. It's not solved. Yeah. Well done, Carter. Well done, Corey. That is, of course, our, our regularly programmed or regularly scheduled summer uh, summertime surprise uh, episode. We go through all of the federal parties. We do it at the home base as well. Nicely done, gents. Let's move it on to our final segment, our over-under in our lightning round. Stephen Carter, we do this for you the entire Thank show, you. even whether Thank you're you. medicated or not. Do we do it for you? I'm feeling um, pretty good right now, but I'm not. Oh, you not should. Medic- you should. You should. You you. Do you know how well you or how good you could feel if you just pop two of those medication again? I mean, it could be this a is, really exciting over under enlightening. Not right. medical advice. I yeah, think. I don't no, think, I, I, I don't, no. Let me. Yeah, I don't think follow I, your prescription, people. Don't think I should follow your prescription, uh, Carter. Just a couple of pills and some ivermectin. I mean, it could be a ride for you <laughs> if you wanted it to be, Carter. Carter, <laughs> overrated or underrated? Justin Trudeau's haircut, the political impact of this said haircut we spent so much time so i gotta ask overrated underrated underrated yeah i think it's actually gonna matter oh interesting i was a throw throw away question throw away question actually i need to now that Corey. now i know where Corey is uh and and Corey, i've got your answer thank you it's overrated carter why is it why is it gonna have an impact because we're superficial people we make our decisions based on superficial ideas and we look at people and and part of that is, is, you know, how does a person's haircut look? And I think it looks like shit. So, I mean, maybe he grows it out over the summer and, and undoes it, but that'll be the next story. The next story is his disastrous haircut. Is he making the right decisions? Who's he relying on for his decision-making? You know, it, it just spins. And don't, ah, uh, me, Corey. In two weeks, uh, it'll look fine. Oh, it'll sure. Look fine. Sure. You don't, you've never had hair problems. I've had hair problems. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Yeah. Corey, you know, a couple of actually, you know, I'm going to go with Carter for that one. So I'm going to skip that one over because I want Carter to start that next one. Corey, on a oh, scale okay. of one, yeah, you'll see Carter, you'll see why. On a scale of one to 10, Corey, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think of uh, Patrick Brown's strategy of not appearing at the Calgary Stampede of the other scheduled events? We talked about this in a previous episode that his thing should have been to just power through, carry on. Uh, just pretend like nothing's wrong. You're still a candidate. Uh, instead, what he did is he endorsed Sheree. He said the pathway is slim. And now the rumors are that he might run for mayor of Brampton. Those rumors existed prior to his disqualification. But of his strategy to not power through, at least from a visual and presence perspective, what do you give of that for Patrick Brown over the course of, let's say, the Calgary Stampede and some other summer events? I give it a C minus. There's a practical reality, which is he is now out of the race. So... Yes, uh, he's got to be thinking course. about the next moves and it takes an awful lot of bandwidth to go to Calgary for a week and answer the same question a trillion times. Why are you here? You're not even in the race. I mean, that's what we call the Raj Sherman question, I believe. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. that must be exhausting after a while to continue to be dealing with it. So, uh, you know, there's there's that practical reality. But then there's also the strategic reality, which is if your plan is to say, well, we know our odds are low and we want you all to go support Sheree. That's weird. Like if you're going to then start doing a bunch of events for yourself and say, oh, but by the way, I think I'm going to lose and therefore you should go support Sheree. Like what a pivot to do. Yeah. An event. Yeah. So I understand avoiding all of that messiness. Carter, what do you think? He didn't show up to do his own events. He didn't carry on the campaign. He wasn't visibly 
a bunch of places to really make and emphasize the point that I'm fucking powering through, regardless of what these powers that be say. What do you make of that Patrick Brown strategy on a scale of one to 10? I'm not a real big fan of it. I think that it, it was a much stronger play to, to, to go through, uh, like we were recommending, you know, right after the announcement. Um, but I suspect that practical realities, such as some of the ones that Corey alluded to, but probably the real one is he no longer had any money. Um, if you don't have money and you have no prospect of raising money, you, you shouldn't be jetting around the country with a small team. I mean, at some point you have to stop spending money. And, uh, Patrick Brown probably called the Sheree campaign and said, do you want me to show up in places with you? And the Sheree campaign politely said, no, we prefer not to have shit on our stool or on our step. Um, and, uh, so Patrick Brown is now, launching his you know because it's the mayor's cycle right the mayor cycle in in ontario is right now yeah. he probably needs to get his signatures and wants to make sure that he's still got a paying gig in october carter i'm going to start this next one with you are you in or out after hearing Corey's case on how pierre polyev could weaponize the early election messaging over the course of the summer are you in or out on the conservative messaging on on an anticipated early election that the liberals uh, might call, despite the fact none of us on this show at least believe is going to happen. Are you in or out on the conservative strategy I, here? I'm out. I, I think it's a bad strategy. I think that it mm. puts Pierre in a position where he can perhaps look strong, but that doesn't make it a good strategy. Um, the strategy is for Pierre to win. Uh, I mean, you're not running this to make one candidate. You're not supposed to be running a, your your party to make one candidate look good. Although, based on their behavior, does seem that that is their modus operandi. Um, you know, the, this the, they shouldn't be playing in the game at this stage. They should let their leadership candidates do that work. This is a fundraising ploy probably because, you know, uh, they need to get more money. And it, it's just, it's so fucking weak. Um, I just, I still, I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Corey, in or out on the messaging for the conservatives on this early election that the liberals might call? I'm out because if they go even a little bit further than where they are right now, it makes you do some very self-defeating things like nominate candidates years out from an anticipated yeah. election, just to name like the most blindingly obvious of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Pick campaign chairs that you're then either stuck with or they're stuck in the jobs or whatever for many years. You can rotate them out, but then that creates awkward problems too. Why would you want to run all of your campaign infrastructure, gear it up, even in kind of a feigned sense, you know, like a yep. faint? Um, why? Totally. Why would you do that? Totally. Corey, final question. I'll start with you. Of the parties we talked about, the five parties, the federal liberals, federal conservatives, federal NDP, Alberta NDP, or the Alberta UCP. Which party would you rank at the top of your list in terms of having to be most prepared for something that might surprise them this summer? I think the federal liberals. Mm. Because of the inflation, cost of living, functioning of government side of things? Yeah, you know, and maybe it's it's maybe they've just got bad messengers, people carrying their water in ways that are not ultimately constructive, but... If if they've got whole groups of people out there basically denying there are problems as the problems begin to pile up, that will not help them. Carter, your response, which of the five parties we discuss uh, for as part of our uh, summertime surprise episode, which one of them would you rank at the top to be most prepared 
most on watch for over the course of the next six weeks? The beast, uh, the Alberta NDP. I mean, they're the ones mm. facing an election. Uh, you know, you can be caught by a surprise, um, but you're not going to lose the government if you're the you're the federal liberals. Uh, I mean, maybe that is the surprise that we should be worried about. Begmeet Singh deciding that he's going to flip the world on its head and turn his back on the agreement. But um, realistically, the only party that's facing a an election and a surprise that's really going to undo them it's the uh, the the Alberta NDP. Interesting response. We're going to leave that episode there. That's a wrap on episode nine ninety nine point nine 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 of the Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we'll see you next time. That's it. That's the end of the episode. We'll be back in two weeks with our next regularly scheduled public episode of The Strategist. But if you're looking for more, why not consider becoming a patron of The Strategist at strategistpatreon.com, where for as little as $6 a month, you can access all of our Patreon-exclusive episodes. We release a new one, even during the summer months, once a week. And uh, you can access the back catalog as well of everything that we've ever done, even the stuff we're deeply deeply ashamed of. You can find that for as little as $10 a month. Anyhow, I guess we'll see you later.